Section two of My Life in the South. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My Life in the South by Jacob Stroyer. Chapter one, part two. Mother. Mother's name was Chloe. She belonged to Colonel M. R. Singleton, too. She was a field hand and never was sold, but her parents were once. Mr. Crow, who, as I have said, had owned this plantation on which Mother lived, had sold the plantation to Colonel Dick Singleton with Mother's parents on it before she was born. Most of the family from which Mother came had trades of some kind. Some were carpenters, some were blacksmiths, some house servants, and others were made drivers over the other negroes. Of course the negro drivers would be under a white man, who was called the overseer. Sometimes the negro drivers were a great deal worse to their fellow negroes than were the white men. Mother had an uncle by the name of Esau, whom Master thought more of than he did of the overseer. Uncle Esau was more cruel than was any white man Master ever had on his plantation. Many of the slaves used to run away from him into the woods. I have known some of the negroes to run away from the cruel treatment of Uncle Esau, and to stay off eight or ten months. They were so afraid of him that they used to say they would rather see the devil than to see him. They were glad when he died. But while so much was said of Uncle Esau, which was also true of many other negro drivers, the overseers themselves were not guiltless of cruelty to the defenseless slaves. I have said that most of the family from which mother came had trades of some kind, but she had to take her chance in the field with those who had to weather the storm. But my readers are not to think that those whom I have spoken of as having trades were free from punishment, for they were not. Some of them had more trouble than had the field hands. At times the overseer, who was a white man, would go to the shop of the blacksmith or carpenter and would pick a quarrel with him so as to get an opportunity to punish him. He would say to the negro, Oh, you think yourself as good as ye master, ye blank. Of course he knew what the overseer was after, so he was afraid to speak. The overseer, hearing no answer, would turn to him and cry out, Ye so big ye can't speak to me, ye blank and then the conflict would begin, and he would give that man such a punishment as would disable him for two or three months. The merciless overseer would say to him, Ye think because ye have a trade ye are as good as ye master, ye blank, but I will show ye that ye are nothing but a nigger. I said that my father had two wives and fifteen children, four boys and three girls by the first, and six boys and two girls by the second wife. Of course he did not marry his wives, as they do now, as it was not allowed among the slaves, but he took them as his wives by mutual agreement. He had my mother after the death of his first wife. I am the third son of his second wife. My readers would very naturally like to know whether some of the slaves did not have more than one woman. I answer, they had for as they had no law to bind them to one woman, they could have as many as they pleased by mutual agreement. But notwithstanding, they had a sense of the moral law, for many of them felt it was right to have but one woman, 
They had different opinions about plurality of wives, as have the most educated and refined among the whites. I met one of my fellow negroes one day, who lived next neighbor to us, and I said to him, Well, Uncle William, how are you today? His answer was, Thank God, my son, I have two wives now, and must try and make out with them until I get some more. But while you will find many like him, others would rebuke the idea of having more than one wife. But, thanks be to God, the day has come when no one need to plead ignorance, for master and servant are both bound by the same law. I did not go to the sand hill, or summer seat, my allotted time, but stopped on the plantation with father, as I said that he used to take care of horses and mules. I was around with him in the barnyard when but a very small boy. Of course that gave me an early relish for the occupation of hostler, and I soon made known my preference to Colonel Singleton, who was a sportsman and an owner of fine horses. And, although I was too small to work, the colonel granted my request, hence I was allowed to be numbered among those who took care of the fine horses and learned to ride. But I soon found that my new occupation demanded a little more than I cared for. It was not long after I had entered my new work before they put me upon the back of a horse which threw me to the ground almost as soon as I had reached his back. It hurt me a little, but that was not the worst of it, for when I got up there was a man standing near with a switch in hand, and he immediately began to beat me. Although I was a very bad boy, this was the first time I had been whipped by any one except father and mother, so I cried out in a tone of voice as if I would say, This is the first and last whipping you will give me when father gets hold of you. When I had got away from him, I ran to father with all my might, but soon found my expectation blasted, as father very coolly said to me, Go back to your work and be a good boy, for I cannot do anything for you. But that did not satisfy me, so on I went to mother with my complaint, and she came out to the man who had whipped me. He was a groom, a white man master had hired to train horses. Mother and he began to talk, then he took a whip and started for her, and she ran from him, talking all the time. I ran back and forth between mother and him until he stopped beating her. After the fight between the groom and mother, he took me back to the stable yard and gave me a severe flogging. And, although mother failed to help me at first, still I had faith that when he had taken me back to the stable yard and commenced whipping me, she would come and stop him but I looked in vain, for she did not come. Then the idea first came to me that I, with my dear father and mother and the rest of my fellow negroes, was doomed to cruel treatment through life and was defenseless. But when I found that father and mother could not save me from punishment, as they themselves had to submit to the same treatment, I concluded to appeal to the sympathy of the groom, who seemed to have full control over me, but my pitiful cries never touched his sympathy, for things seemed to grow worse rather than better, so I made up my mind to stem the storm the best I could. I have said that Colonel Singleton had fine horses which he kept for racing, and he owned two very noted ones, named Captain Minor and Inspector. Perhaps some of my readers have already heard of Captain Minor, for he was widely known having won many races in Charlestown and Columbia, South Carolina, also in Augusta, Georgia, and New York. 
He was a dark bay with short tail. Inspector was a chestnut sorrel and had the reputation of being a very great horse. These two horses have won many thousand dollars for the colonel. I rode these two horses a great many times in their practice gallops, but never had the opportunity to ride them in a race before Colonel Singleton died, for he did not live long after I had learned so that I could ride for money. The custom was that when a boy had learned the trade of a rider, he would have to ride what was known as a trial in the presence of a judge, who would approve or disapprove his qualifications to be admitted as a race rider, according to the jockey laws of South Carolina at that time. I have said that I loved the business and acquired the skill very early, and this enabled me to pass my examination credibly and to be accepted as a capable rider but I passed through some very severe treatment before reaching that point. This white man who trained horses for Colonel Singleton was named Boney Young. He had a brother named Charles, who trained for the colonel's brother, John Singleton. Charles was a good man, but Boney, our trainer, was as mean as Charles was good. He could smile in the face of one who was suffering the most painful death at his hands. One day, about two weeks after Boney Young and Mother had the conflict, he called to me, as though he were in the pleasantest mood, he was singing. I ran to him as if to say by action, I will do anything you bid me willingly. When I got to him, he said, Go and bring me a switch, sir. I answered, Yes, sir, and off I went and brought him one. Then he said, Come in here, sir. I answered, Yes, sir and I went into a horse's stall, but while I was going in a thousand thoughts passed through my mind as to what he wanted me to go into the stall for, but when I had got in I soon learned, for he gave me a first-class flogging. A day or two after that he called me in the same way, and I went again, and he sent me for a switch. I brought him a short stubble that was worn out, which he took and beat me on the head with. Then he said to me, Go and bring me a switch, sir. I answered, Yes, sir, and off I went the second time and brought him one very little better than the first. He broke that over my head also, saying, Go and bring me a switch, sir. I answered, Yes, sir, and off I went the third time and brought one which I supposed would suit him. Then he said to me, Come in here, sir. I answered, Yes, sir. When I went into the stall, he told me to lie down, and I stooped down, he kicked me around for a while, then, making me lie on my face, he whipped me to his satisfaction. That evening, when I went home to father and mother, I said to them, Mr. Young is whipping me too much now. I shall not stand it. I shall fight him. Father said to me, You must not do that, because if you do, he will say that your mother and I advised you to do it, and it will make it hard for your mother and me, as well as for yourself. You must do as I told you, my son. Do your work the best you can, and do not say anything. I said to father, But I don't know what I have done that he should whip me. He does not tell me what wrong I have done. He simply calls to me and whips me when he gets ready. Father said, I can do nothing more than pray to the Lord to hasten the time when these things shall be done away. That is all I can do. When mother had stripped me and looked at the wounds that were upon me, she burst into tears and said, If he were not so small, I would not mind it so much. This will break his constitution. I am going to master about it, because I know he will not allow Mr. Young to treat this child so. 
and I thought to myself that had mother gone to master about it, it would have helped me some, for he and she had grown up together, and he thought a great deal of her. But father said to mother, you better not go to master, for while he might stop the child from being treated badly, Mr. Young may revenge himself through the overseer, for you know they were very friendly to each other. So said father to mother, you would gain nothing in the end, the best thing for us to do is to pray much over it, for I believe that the time will come when this boy with the rest of the children will be free, though we may not live to see it. When father spoke of liberty, his words were of great comfort to me, and my heart swelled with the hope of a future which made every moment seem an hour to me. Father had a rule, which was strictly carried out as far as possible under the slave law, which was to put his children to bed early. But that night the whole family sat up late, while father and mother talked over the matter. It was a custom among the slaves not to allow their children under certain ages to enter into conversation with them, hence we could take no part with father and mother. As I was the object of their sympathy, I was allowed the privilege of answering the questions about the whipping the groom gave me. When the time came for us to go to bed, we all knelt down in family prayer, as was our custom. Father's prayer seemed more real to me that night than ever before, especially in the words, Lord, hasten the time when these children shall be their own free men and women. My faith in Father's prayer made me think that the Lord would answer him at the farthest in two or three weeks, but it was fully six years before it came, and Father had been dead two years before the war. After prayer, we all went to bed. Next morning, Father went to his work in the barnyard, Mother to hers in the field, and I to mine among the horses. Before I started, however, Father charged me carefully to keep his advice, as he said that would be the easiest way for me to get along. But in spite of Father's advice, I had made up my mind not to submit to the treatment of Mr. Young as before, seeing that it did not help me any. Things went smoothly for a while until he called to me and ordered me to bring him a switch. I told him that I would bring him no more switches for him to whip me with, but that he must get them himself. After repeating the command very impatiently, and I refusing, he called to another boy named Hardy, who brought the switch, and then taking me into the stall, he whipped me unmercifully. After that he made me run back and forth every morning from a half to three-quarters of an hour, about two hundred and fifty yards, and every now and then he would run after me and whip me to make me run faster. Besides that, when I was put upon a horse, if it threw me he would whip me if it were five times a day. So I did not gain anything by refusing to bring switches for him to whip me with. One very cold morning in the month of March, I came from home without washing my face, and Mr. Young made two of the slave boys take me down to a pond where the horses and mules used to drink. They threw me into the water and rubbed my face with sand until it bled. Then I was made to run all the way to the stable, which was about a quarter of a mile. This cruel treatment soon hardened me so that I did not care for him at all. A short time afterwards I was sent with the other boys about four or five miles from home, up the public road, to practice the horse, and they gave me a very wild animal to ride, which threw me very often. Mr. Young did not go with us, but sent a colored groom every morning, 
who was very faithful to every task allotted him, he was instructed to whip me every time the horse threw me while away from home. I got many little floggings by the colored groom, as the horse threw me a great many times, but the floggings I got from him were very feeble compared with those of the white man. Hence I was better content to go away with the colored groom than to be at home where I should have worse punishment. But the time was coming when they ceased to whip me for being thrown by horses. One day, as I was riding along the road, the horse that I was upon darted at the sight of a bird, which flew across the way, throwing me upon a pile of brush. The horse stepped on my cheek, and the head of a nail in his shoe went through my left cheek and broke a tooth, but it was done so quickly that I hardly felt it. It happened that he did not step on me with his whole weight. If he had, my jaw would have been broken. When I got up, the colored groom was standing by me, but he could not whip me when he saw the blood flowing from my mouth, so he took me down to the creek, which was but a short distance from the place, and washed me, and then taking me home, sent for a doctor, who dressed the wound. When Mr. Young saw my condition, he asked how it was done, and upon being told, he said it ought to have killed me. After the doctor had dressed my face, of course I went home, thinking they would allow me to stay until I got well, but I had no sooner arrived than the groom sent for me. I did not answer, as my jaw pained me very much. When he found that I did not come, he came after me himself, and said that if I did not come to the stable right away, he would whip me, so I went with him. He did not whip me while I was in that condition, but he would not let me lie down, so I suffered very much from exposure. When mother came that night from the farm and saw my condition, she was overcome with grief. She said to father, This wound is enough to kill the child, and that merciless man will not let him lie down until he gets well. This is too hard. Father said to her, I know it is very hard, but what can we do? For if we try to keep this boy in the house, it will cause us trouble. Mother said, I wish they would take him out of the world, then he would be out of pain, and we would not have to fret about him, for he would be in heaven. Then she took hold of me and said, Does it hurt you, son? Meaning my face, and I said, Yes, mamma, and she shed tears. But she had no little toys to give me to comfort me. She could only promise me such as she had, which were eggs and chickens. Father did not show his grief for me as mother did, but he tried to comfort mother all he could, and at times would say to me, Never mind, my son, you will be a man by and by. But he did not know what was passing through my mind at that time. Though I was very small, I thought that if, while a boy, my treatment was so severe, it would be much worse when I became a man, and having had a chance to see how men were being punished, it was a very poor consolation to me. Finally the time came for us to go to bed, and we all knelt in family prayer. Father thanked God for having saved me from a worse injury, and then he prayed for mother's comfort, and also for the time which he predicted would come, that is, the time of freedom, when I and the rest of the children would be our own masters and mistresses. Then he commended us to God, and we all went to bed. The next morning I went to my work with a great deal of pain. They did not send me up the road with the horses in that condition, but I had to ride the old horses to water and work around the stables until I was well enough to go with the other boys. 
but I am happy to say that from the time I got hurt by that horse, I was never thrown except through carelessness, neither was I afraid of a horse after that. Notwithstanding, father and mother fretted very much about me. They were proud of my success as a rider, but my hardships did not end here. End of section 2 Recorded by Tom Crawford, Cool, California, USA, December 2010.